Well, good morning. My name is Mike Daniels. I have the privilege of standing before you today because our pastor is out on a little bit of rest and relaxation. So be praying for him and Teresa as they have a couple of uh, just a couple of Sundays away. We're so grateful for you joining us. And for those of you who have joined us online, we want to thank you for being here. We are going to do something over the next five weeks that I'm really thrilled about. I'm excited about. We're going to study the life of Joseph. And on this Independence Day weekend, we welcome you to church. Uh, I'm grateful for my freedoms, and I know you are as well. I started thinking about this. I had to do the math. It is 246 years old today. Well, tomorrow, I guess. 246 uh, years old. America is celebrated uh, for our freedoms and all the things that took place in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. uh, 246 years ago, the Declaration of Independence was signed by 13 original colonies. And the Declaration of Independence started with these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal and and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and you know it, the pursuit of happiness. So as we celebrate this weekend, we celebrate with hot dogs and hamburgers and watermelon and the lake and the pool and whatever else. But when I think of that, these words, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, I think of that being a charge to a new fledgling nation to go and be all that they are to be. There's a promised hope. A prosperity, religious freedom, democratic rule, freedom from the tyranny of the English monarchy. And we celebrate now some 250 years, 246 years later. We live in a place of hope and dreams and joy and prosperity and freedoms. And most of us can say, you know what, I am proud to be an American. However, just like anything. When you have good days and you have days that you celebrate, we have days that we simply can say, look in our past and go over the 246 years. There are things in our lives and things in our past that we would not necessarily celebrate. In fact, I thought about some of those for our nation on this uh, weekend. I thought about things that we would wish we probably could get a do-over. The way we treated the Native American Indians when we took their land and forced them to give up their livelihoods and their futures. The participation in the West African trade, uh, slave trade was, was not the finest moment in our country. In fact, that one single thing led to rampant slavery in our country. And while slavery ended officially in 1865, you and I all know there is racism that still exists today because of that. I think of assassination attempts of U.S. Presidents Kennedy and Lincoln and Reagan. There there are moments in this nation's history that we look back on and cannot say, man, I, I am proud of those moments. We look back at Pearl Harbor when we were, our shores were invaded on December the 7th, 1941. Part of our past that we look back on has, has, has shaped a whole generation of individuals. And then perhaps in this room, probably none of us remember World War II. But many of us remember where we were on September the 11th, 2001. When terrorists attacked the New York City skyline, Pentagon, and United Flight 93, leaving 3,000 dead. 
moments in our past that we can look back to and realize while as great as our country is, it has been messy along the way. In fact, issues of our day, we may look and say the opioid epidemic, the drug trafficking and trade and and sex trafficking that quite frankly comes up and down the highways of our great city. COVID-19 has wrecked a whole lot of stuff. Racism is rampant, as we mentioned, political infighting, gender wars, race wars, economic wars, even a physical war in Ukraine. We look and say, hey, our past is messy, our present is messy. There's a whole lot of stuff going on that I can't speak to as glowingly as my freedoms that happened 250 years ago. What about the future of our nation? What about the future of the challenges that we face? I think about, what about my grandkids? I'm getting to the age where I start thinking of my children and my potential grandchildren, and I think, what will their future be like? I think of the national debt. I think of diminished workforce, income inequality, housing affordability, just in Gwinnett County. I think of global warming and corruption and crime. And, and what about this thing that nobody really understands, this artificial intelligence? What do we really do with that? Do I really want a Tesla car that drives by itself? I think the answer is yes, but I'm just not sure. What does this future look like for us? I don't know. There is a whole lot to be an aging population, future world wars. What about an overwhelmed healthcare system? Where will it end up? To say the least, our country has had high moments and we've had low moments. But one thing is for certain, our country over the course of time can be described as being messy. And the reason it's messy is because the citizens that make up our country are messy. People are messy. I'm messy. You're messy. All you have to do is look under my bed or in the back recesses of my closet. You know that I have mess in my life. Perhaps you have mess in your life as well. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the life of a man named Joseph. He is in, uh, he's representative Genesis chapter 37. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and begin turning to Genesis chapter 37. It's one of the greatest stories ever told. It's one of the most exciting characters in the Bible. In fact, 14 chapters of Genesis are dedicated to this man's life. He became a deliverer, God's chosen deliverer for God's chosen people. A unique man that had ups and downs, just like I just mentioned for our country. He had a past, he had a present, and he had a future. And all of them at times seemed like they were in the midst of a perpetual state of train wreck. His life was exciting, it was interesting, it was full of ups and downs, and he became a picture of the coming Christ years upon years later. This man that we're going to look at in the next couple of weeks, he's favored by his father. He's hated by his brothers. He became a prisoner. He was a dreamer. He was a dream interpreter. He was a strategic thinker. He was a motivator of people. He was a planner. He was a deliverer. We're going to learn all these things about him. He became the Winston Churchill of Egypt. He was the prime minister of all of Egypt when we get to the end of his life. But one word that would describe Joseph's life, especially early on, was messy. 
There were things that he could have done differently. There was things that happened to him that were out of his control, just like would happen to you and me. Some things he initiated, some things were not his fault. It just, he just found himself in a mess. And I hope today, if you find yourself in a mess this morning, if you're online and you're somewhere that your life is just seems like it is upside right now, upside down right now, you will find today to be an encouragement as we draw from the biblical account of Joseph's life. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open up to Genesis chapter 37, 1 through 5. We're going to read starting in verse 1. Verse 1 says this, Jacob, we go back to Joseph's father. Joseph's father is where we begin. And it says this, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilphah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we begin this morning, I pray that, God, you would be honored with the teaching of your word, that, God, I would get out of the way and that you would speak in and through me. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's one point I want you to hear this morning. If you're in the room or online, I want you to hear this one statement. Is God is greater than your mess. Whatever mess you find yourself in this morning, God is greater than your mess. The first point I want you to have this, this morning is this. Our past is messy, so be aware. Our past is messy, so be aware. We begin the story of Joseph by rewinding the tape a bit. Joseph's past was messy. It was like really messy. I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff in here. Let me go through a couple little lessons here to remind you of how messy his life was. Joseph comes from this messed up, jacked up family. His father's name, Jacob, literally means deceiver. He was a liar. He was a cheater. His father cheated his way into his father's blessing. Jacob cheated his way to get his own blessing. Jacob himself, Joseph's father, was actually tricked in the selection of his wife. Maybe you remember the story. Uh, Jacob had his mind and his eyes set on a girl named Rachel. He then goes in to marry her. Well, she was not the oldest child, and so the father-in-law does a switcheroo. In fact, he says, hey, listen, I'm going to send Leah, the sister, the older, not as pretty sister, in to be his wife. He didn't find out until the next morning. Not sure how all that works, but nevertheless, we leave that for another day. So he is deceived by his own father. Joseph or Jacob sees that he marries the wrong woman. Then he goes to his father-in-law and says, what do you, have you done for me? He says, well, let's make a deal. I'll tell you what, I'll give you Rachel if you'll work seven more years for me. So now he has Leah as his wife, and now he's trying to work seven more years for the one that he wanted in the first place, Rachel. 
It's a messed up situation. He has multiple wives, multiple children from those wives. Rachel, his favorite, he does work for her and he gets his wife to be married to him, the one that he chose originally. But she struggled to have children, yet all these other wives had multiple children and they made fun of Rachel. And not until later in his life did Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel, have a child. In fact, the Bible says it was in her old age. She was his favorite, and she had Joseph. Joseph became the favored son. When you look at this, his, his dad's favorite child became the, the scorn of his brothers. They, they were angry and jealous and vindictive toward him. Why? Because his dad loved him more than everyone else. We see that Joseph's half-sister was raped. Not only that, but his half-brothers went, and in response to that situation, they killed a whole multitude of people. I mean, there's murder, there's, ang there's anger, all in this family. Then we see that Joseph's mother tragically dies in childbirth to Joseph's brother, Benjamin. So here we see Joseph's mother is gone. His dad was passive. We have deception abounding in this relationship. You have anger and rebellion. We have jealousy that permeates the family and the brothers. We have this unhealthy favoritism from a dad to his boy. We see the boy has learned, hey, listen, I know what I'm, I'm going to get whatever I want. So he has a little arrogance and self-righteousness. This mother is gone and the dad is not leading his family in a healthy, spiritual way. In other words, Joseph's life began from the very beginning in a messed up way. Much like yours and mine. Much like yours and mine, as we learn, that's the way all of us started out. When I think of Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3, what do we learn? We learn that the world is messed up because sin entered the world a long time ago. And because sin entered the world and it permeates from then until now, we all have messy pasts. And what do we do with our mess? We close the door of the closet, right? When you have uh, company over, what do you do? You take everything in the living room and you shove it in the bedroom. You put it on the bed, you put it on the floor, and you have messes. You have piles of messes everywhere. We try to cover it up. We try to put it away so we don't have recollections of the painful memories. We have m embarrassing moments of yesterday that we just try to sweep under the rug. But we must beware that our past often shapes our present and influences our future. Joseph's life was messy. Second thing I want you to see is our present is also messy. Not only is our past messy, but right now you may see, say, my present right now is messy. I'm not really showing everybody my mess, but I, I am messy. And, and Joseph's pre, pre, past was a train wreck, but his, his present is equally as tragic. See, sometimes in the story, and you've read this story probably many times, Joseph gets a pass. Sometimes he gets a pass by, hey, he's a great guy. In fact, the Bible doesn't say anything really negative about Joseph's entire life. He did great things, and we're going to learn about those. But early on, he, he kind of gets a pass because he's a great guy, and he changed the course of history for the Israelite people. He provided for them. But if you look early on, he, it's not really a fair comparison. It's not really a great, a great example because he was arrogant. He, he was, 
he certainly did his part. He paraded in front of his brothers with a multicolored coat. We're going to look at it in just a moment. He was prideful. He was arrogant. He was entitled. There was a moment early in his days that he, he realized, I'm favored and I know it. He was self-centered. He was abrasive. He flamed the fans or the fire. He, he fanned the fly, fire of jealousy in his brothers. His dad says, hey, listen, the, your brothers are out. Your brothers are out in the field. Will you go check on them and give me a report back? Joseph was at home. He was, he was doing whatever his dad wanted him to do. And he says, hey, your brothers are out in the field. Will you go and give us a report? And let's look in verse 2. Let's go back. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Hey, listen, dad, they're not going to the right water hole. They're not out there doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're, uh, they're, not, they're lazy and they're laying, laying down on the job, dad. He brought a bad report of them to their father. Verse three, now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Here comes this man who he, he says, hey, listen, guys, I have a dream. He goes to his brothers and says, I have a dream. In fact, there was two dreams. You can read it later. I encourage you to do so. The story is so rich with, with story and illustration. There's two dreams. One dream is an agricultural dream. And basically what takes place is Joseph comes up to his brother and says, hey, listen, let me tell you about this dream. I had this awesome dream. In fact, I'll say this, and I, I, I think the pastor is actually watching. I, 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 I dreamed that the pastor the other day, I dreamed that the pastor became a police chaplain and they not only gave him a badge, but they gave him a uniform and he preached in that uniform on a Sunday morning. I don't know why that came up, but pastor, if you're watching, you look like Barney Fife, nevertheless. <laughs> so he gives him this dream and he gives this agricultural dream that says, hey, listen, brothers, I had my grain, my bundle of grain and your bundle of grain and your bundles were bowing down to my bundles. Almost as if, hey, you're gonna work for me one day. You're going to work for me one day. Your grain was bowing down. Then he gave him a second one. says, hey, guys, I had another dream. Second dream was one of an astrological uh, conversation. It was, hey, the sun and the moon and 11 stars. Okay, there were 12 brothers. That means he was one of the brothers and 11 brothers. He said, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars, they bowed down to me too. <laughs> Isn't this a great dream? Can you imagine his brothers were not thrilled about this dream? In fact, it ticked his brothers off to the point that they were angry yet again. And in fact, his father, who loved him more than anyone else, said, Hey, listen, I'm not even real hot about this. You mean I'm the sun, your mother is the moon, and your brothers are the stars? I'm going to bow down to you? See, Joseph had a way with words. It was not his finest moment. Genesis 37, let's continue to go through he, the story in verse 18 through 21. Read with me. It says, go and look at, go look at him in the field. Go check on him. Verse 18 says this, they, came, they saw him. His brothers saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands saying, let's not take his life. Verse 23, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. 
and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat. So he goes and they say, hey, they see him from afar off. They, they see that this, this coat came with this multicolored coat. Some would even say it had long sleeves or it was, went down to his ankles. Not the coat that a normal shepherd would wear. They, they saw this man who was coming on the horizon and said, here he comes. They devise a plan. Let's put him, let's, let's do something with him. Let's make a plan that we won't ever have to deal with his dreams ever again. He's the favored one. Let's, ru let's ruin this whole scene for him. They make this plan. They throw him in a pit. They take this colored coat, or this coat off of him, and they throw him into a pit, a, a cistern. It was a dry cistern where it was probably deep, and he couldn't climb his way out of, and there he's in his own little homemade prison. You see, he finds himself in a mess in verse 25, as we just read, and then they sat down to eat. Look at the callous nature of what takes place. Joseph's present at this moment is a mess. He finds himself at the bottom of a pit looking up at the outside world with no way up. Do you ever feel like that today? Do you ever feel like there's no way out of this mess you find yourself in right now? Verse 28, then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. By the way, they just took him to Egypt. 20 shekels of silver was the, the price of a teenage male slave in the day. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't thought of very highly. Let's just get him out of here. Let's not kill him. Blood will be on our hands. Let's just sell him off. It'll be the same thing. And there's no doubt in a room this size with people gathered online that we have messy presence. Today, some of you are walking through things that nobody else knows. The brothers, in this case, didn't look like they cared. They were just having a meal, sitting there as if this was no big deal, yet it could have been Joseph's last meal. Joseph's present was marked with uncertainty, potential death at the hands of his brothers, and then potential slavery at the hands of a nomadic people. And then he realizes my life lays in the balance. Who's on the other end of this wagon train as we go off to Egypt? You may feel that way right now. You may feel like I'm in that same spot, but yet you put your nice clothes on, you came to church, you, you, you hooked up online, but your life is a mess. You're suffering in silence, you're fearful, some of you may be dying on the inside. Your job is hanging by a thread. Your bank, bank account is overdrawn. Your adult children are wayward. Your young children are disrespectful and care very little about the Lord or church for that matter. Your health is declining. Perhaps there's something going on with you right now that nobody can see, but it just, it just looks like normal. Right now, you don't know it. I have a pinched nerve in my back and I have stabbing pain going through my right leg. You smile and just walk around, you're good, right? Isn't that what we do? We, we push things off and nobody knows. Aging parents, 
Some of you are ministering to aging parents right now and you just don't know how all this ends. Your energy is gone, your needs are great, life is overwhelming, and you wonder, where is this God that I serve? You see, this story is all about an all-knowing and all-powerful God that intervenes in the lives of messed up people. People with messed up past. And right now that have a messed up present and that leads naturally to our future is also messy. Number three, our future is messy. Here on earth, our future, is, it might as well have a sign that just says on the outside of our doorpost as we walk out the door a day, potential mess ahead. Why? Because I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what today is going to hold. I want to be hopeful, but you know what? My past suggests something. My present suggests something. And I just don't know if I can walk into the future knowing there's a mess around every corner. This side of heaven, you are not promised a rose garden. You're not promised an easy life. And some of you, you are recognizing that the day by day as you get older. Our future is messy. Genesis 37, 31 through 33, let's read it. Then they took Joseph's robe and they slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood and they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found, please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my robe, my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. This father's worst nightmare has come true. His favorite son is dead. How can I cope? How can I live without my favorite wife? How can I live without my favorite son? Where is God in this moment? Verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Joseph went from favored son in Canaan to dead man in a cistern to a slave for a nomadic people to the house of the captain of the guard of Pharaoh in Egypt in a matter of days. What might God be doing in this story? What might God be doing in your story? The story of Joseph is a story of God using broken people with broken relationships, broken circumstances to bring about the reign of God forever. You see, God uses messed up worlds in order to bring glory to himself Every story in the Bible is a story of God bringing to pass his will and his reign here on earth. And yet we don't recognize that it is happening in and through our past, our present and our futures. Why? Because our past is messy and we get stuck in the mess. Our present is messy. Our earthly future, we, we have this idea that it's not necessarily going to get better. My broken knee with torn ACL is not going to regenerate itself, and I'm going to start running like I used to again. I have a pretty good idea about that. However, the last point this morning, I hope, will bring you hope. Jesus conquers messy. Messy. 
so be at peace. Jesus conquers our mess so we can be at peace this morning. Some of us just need to be reminded of that. We look no further than the heroes of the Bible. That's what I love about the Bible is there's pictures of everything that has already come to pass that we can look about. What about him? What about Moses? His life was threatened as an infant. He killed an Egyptian as a youth. He was a murderer. He wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. He was told he would never enter the promised land, the thing that he had been striving for all his life. He was denied his preferred future, left wandering, uh, wondering about what was next. He died in the wilderness without entering the promised land, and no one knows where his body is buried. But God still used his story to lead a people to the promised land. What about David? David was accused of trying to overthrow the king at the time, King Saul. He had spears tossed at his head by the very man he consoled with a harp. He was chased relentlessly through the woods. He got a girl pregnant that was not his wife. He then had her husband killed to cover it up. He was a murderer. His son died in childbirth as a result. He was unable to build the temple that he so desperately wanted to build for the God that he loved. Why? Because he was a man after God's own heart. Yet his life was messy and God allowed him to pen some of the greatest books in all of the Bible. What about Paul? Let's go to the New Testament. What about Paul? He presided over the murder of Stephen. He was a murderer. He said, I, he said of himself, he said, I am the chief of all sinners. He found himself in prison. He wrote four books from that prison, but he was shipwrecked and beaten. He was ex exiled on the Isle of Patmos. He, he was martyred for his faith. He was beheaded in Rome. That's not exactly the one I say, hey, let me be like Paul. But Paul was the greatest evangelist outside of Jesus himself in the history of our world. He was the one who shared the good news of the gospel. He penned the most books of the New Testament. These are men who lived messy lives. What about our Savior? What about Jesus? What did Jesus do? Jesus... His past, what did he do? He lived a sinless life. He ministered to the sick, the hurting, and the homeless. He was scorned by the political and religious types. He was loved by his followers until he wasn't. And they turned their backs on him for fear of being identified with him. He was teaching and ministering and facing torture and ridicule. He was spit upon beaten and cursed. A spear was placed in his side. And if he keeps this foolishness up, he will find himself with certain death, even death on a cross. Regardless of who you are or what title you hold, whether it's prophet, priest, king, apostle, CEO, homemaker, pastor, friend, neighbor, son, daughter, mom, or dad, your life is messy. But at the end of Jesus' ministry, earthly ministry, he was approaching his final, his final days on earth. He tells his disciples a couple things that I hope will bring you encouragement this morning. John chapter 16, 23 and 24, he says this. Truly, truly, he says this to his followers. I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. 
Ask and you receive that your joy may be full. That you may be able to walk these days and you find significant joy in not just July the 4th, 226 days after the, the birth of our nation, you will find joy not in the midst of all our troubling past and all of our, our challenges in the present, not even in looking forward to what may come, but you will find joy in Christ. Jesus desires a relationship with you. He desires time with you. He desires proximity, intimacy, communion, and communication. And he goes on and says in verse 32, behold, the hour is coming. He then gives them a little more glimpse. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered. These were his followers. Certainly, they would never scatter. They love Jesus. Certainly, you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. And he says, yet I will not be alone for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We must this morning recognize our mess. Embrace the mess in our lives. Relationships are messy. For you young single adults, love is messy. Marriage is really messy at times. Friendships are messy. Parenting, stay in the battle, parents. Parenting is messy. Being a student is messy. Hey, listen, you guys on the front row, I couldn't be more thrilled to see you right there. You keep it up. Well done. Being a student is messy. Work, ministry is messy. Set your eyes on Jesus because he is the only one who is greater than our mess. So you ask the question, where is God? He's in the middle of your mess right with you. John 16 at the end. We just read it. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone, yet I am not alone. For the Father is with me. Believer, the the Father, God the Father is with you. The creator of the heavens and the earth has not left you. Jesus, the, salva- the, the Savior of the world who brings salvation, he provides joy in the midst of your mess. He saves, he redeems you from that. The Holy Spirit, he is with you, he guides, he comforts, he protects, he convicts you in the mess. You are not alone. Will you recognize the work of God in your life today? In the midst of your mess, will you recognize that this resounding theme of Joseph, the resounding theme of your life, my life, and of the Bible is is mentioned in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, at the very end of our days, at the very end of Joseph's life, this is what he says. Joseph looks at his brothers and he says, as for you, as he looks at his brothers, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people would be kept alive. We will learn about that in the coming weeks, that many people's lives would be saved and changed. And he says, as they are today. You see, as we begin this story of Joseph, it's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of how God takes the messy, messed up lives that we have 
and brings glory to himself through men and women who are willing to raise their arms and say, I give up, God. I give you control of my life. It is a picture of a man who saves a nation. It is a picture of Christ who saves the world. If your past, if your past is messy, mine is too. If your present is messy, mine is too. If your future looks like it could get messy with a chance of meatballs, then mine is too. But God is greater than your mess. I want you to see this picture. God is greater than your mess. It's that algebraic sign that we learned a long time ago. God is greater than your mess. Perhaps you just simply need to write that on a sticky note and place it in your car this week. Perhaps you need to put that over your medicine cabinet every morning as you take another pill for whatever is ailing you. Perhaps you need to put it on the doorpost as you walk out the door that you will be reminded that God is greater than your mess. And the Bible says that God can save you from your mess. You see, Jesus lived a perfect life and he died a cruel death on a cross so that you might have life so that you might have some hope for eternity because your mess carries from generation to generation all the way from Genesis chapter 3. So this morning, I'm asking you to bow your heads and close your eyes. All across this room, is your life messy? And if so, do you know Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior? Jesus died on a cross that you might have life to pay your sins that you could never pay. Romans 10, 9, as we just mentioned in the baptistry, if you confess your mouth, uh, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. This morning, are you tired from simply running the race and trying to cover up your mess? Would you give your mess over to the Lord this morning? Confess your sins and say, God, I can't do it on my own. I simply cannot do it on my own. I simply have no more energy to fight the systems of this world any longer. I'm exhausted. God, I know I'm a sinner. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Change my life right now, Lord. Come into my life. Allow me to have hope even in my mess. Believer, perhaps you simply have walked away from the Lord for some time. It's time to get back and allow Jesus to invade your mess. Lord Jesus, right now we pray that God all across this room, anybody, man, woman, or child, that desires to simply allow you control over their mess, that they would just simply give up. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to see a picture of Joseph giving up. He has ups and he has downs. He has moments of terrible circumstances that befall him. He has moments of high, moments where he just celebrates life. But God, just like us, we have moments where we just need a Savior. And God, I pray that you would allow us to see your hand work even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Now, before we sing, let me just say one thing. Listen, if you're a first-time guest with us, if you want to make a decision of some sort, if you just want somebody to pray for you, would you go to crosspointchurch.com 
slash next. That's the way in which you can just simply put, get on our radar so that we may pray for you. We may minister to you. We may simply get you connected. Maybe you're a first-time guest and you've not done that. Would you allow us to know who you are? We would love to know who you are. And at the end of the day, would you allow the Lord Jesus to be in the mess with you? Because he desires to ra change, radically change your life. He is greater than your mess.